frightening actually how accurate my intuition's been. And there was times I didn't listen and Lonnie was probably one of those times. In my pregnancy, I knew something horrendous was coming and I couldn't really work out exactly what it was, but it was like this black cloud, just a feeling of dread, a feeling of fear, so deep within and it definitely was what was about to happen. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rachel J podcast. We're talking all things wellness and lifestyle to help you do life better. I'm your host, Rachel J, and it's been so great seeing everyone enjoying the recent episodes. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I know some of you have been listening to the podcast for a while, but you may not be subscribed. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. It makes such a difference and it will help us grow the podcast for you so we can have more inspiring conversations and learn from our amazing guests. This week, I'm very excited to be sitting down with the founder and CEO of Runway Room and the author of Silver Linings, A Journey to Happiness. Welcome to the show, Alex Vavola. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited to chat with you because I feel like you've been through quite the journey in your life and there's been some painful moments, but there's been some very inspiring moments and so many great achievements as well. And so I'm, I'm really excited to get stuck into all of that with you. So to begin... What do we need to know about you and your childhood to know who you are as a person today? Well, I guess going back to my early childhood, it was a pretty average childhood. Um, I was very lucky to be born into a loving family and have always had a very supportive family. Um, I think where things sort of turned... um, not so great. It was probably more my young adult years. Um, I had a partner at the time. Um, we had been together for um, a number of years and we were engaged uh, and he took his life. Um, it was a big shock and very unexpected. We had just had a baby. I was only 22 years old mm. and um, I was kind of thrust into this terrible journey of grief and uh, motherhood at the same time. Um, I also had my own health challenges at the time. We we sort of had some complications from the birth and then I'd ended up hemorrhaging on that very same day, which was obviously just so traumatic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had, I, I sort of embarked on this crazy period of my life where there was just so much going on and and so many different things to try to navigate. Um, And I think that kind of set me up to, I guess, just build a resilience and Mm -hmm. try to sort of, you know, find a way to get through. And I think that period of my life, although it was so awful and definitely the hardest time in my life, um, it really did have you know, a huge impact on the person I am today. And I think it was those uh, challenges that I faced that um, have enabled me to sort of be doing what I'm doing today, which is, um, you know, mother of four beautiful girls and running an amazing business that I love. And I think the biggest lesson out of it for me is the gratitude I have today Mm. to be able to be living, you know, this wonderful, happy life and to be, um, to have got through that and still have found that happiness. And so, yeah, that's basically 
my backstory. Yeah. It's, I mean, I feel like, because I read the book, obviously, your Silver Linings book, which is amazing. And I think that just reading your journey, it, like you described there, which was pr- pretty much in a nutshell, your life, right? And there's been so many challenges and, and not even just little challenges. They were really big challenges that maybe not everyone has experienced those to that degree yep. and also compounded, you know, especially, you, you know, you mentioned in the book talking about the loss of Mia's dad and he was yep. your partner at the time mm-hmm. and the father of your first child mm-hmm. and the timing of all of that was just pretty crazy. You were only 22. Yep. And so can you take us back to that time and share a little bit about what was going on at the time because, I mean, it, it was a series of events. It wasn't just the yeah. one thing. So when he actually passed, can you take me back just before that and what was going on then? Yeah, so uh, we had found out we were having a baby and it was a big surprise. Certainly wasn't planned. Um, and we things had sort of not really been great. Uh, we were both young. He had mm. suffered a really bad car accident Um Previously, previous to that period, and I believe that's kind of where things went downhill for him. I think mm. that head injury that he suffered really had a major impact uh, on his personality, on his mindset, and on his mental health. Mm. Um, I really noticed a huge change in him, and and yeah, th- things just weren't great. His behaviour hadn't been great, and I just I had sort of we'd both been feeling like perhaps we were gonna go our separate ways and then we found out we are having a baby. So, you know, under those circumstances, we both thought, well, you know, this is a sign, we'll give it another go and we, you know, both really were very excited, although it wasn't something that I'd ever thought, I'd never thought I'd have children so young. It wasn't something I'd planned and, you know, it was a big shock to my family and to everybody. Um, Pretty quickly got my head around it and tried to look at it in positive light and thought, well, you know, it's happening. And um, we were really, we were both really happy and excited. Mm. Uh, But even during the pregnancy, I kind of felt, yeah, an uneasy sort of feeling. He just wasn't the same. And and I was scared. I was really scared. I kind of knew that I was going to end up on my own as a single parent, but I just never imagined it would be the way that transpire the way that yeah, it did the yeah. way it happened so um so yeah it was it was a relatively happy relationship but you know the, the general things that can happen at that age were happening perhaps a little exacerbated and I was you know I was preempting that we were probably going to break up but yeah the uh the shock of what happened was just yeah, it was just mind-blowing. Like yeah. nobody saw that coming. Yeah. So t- take me through what happened because there was a lot going on at that time when, so, when it actually happened. So basically I'd had um, the baby, Mia, my eldest daughter, who's now 23. I had given birth to her um, four and a half weeks prior. Mm. And the day that he passed... Um, I'd actually gone to stay at my sister's house that night, the the night prior, because um, we had been arguing. It just wasn't a healthy environment and I I just knew I had to get my baby out of that situation. Um, So 
I went and stayed with my sister, got a phone call that morning, early that morning, to say that he had been found dead. And, um, yeah, I just... I don't think I could ever really articulate how it felt. I mean, I obviously try in the book, but mm. um, for anyone that's experienced anything like it, it's just, it's not comparable to anything. And it literally takes the wind out of you. You can't, actually can't catch a breath. It's just, it has a physical impact on you. Um, mm. So that was the beginning of just the most turbulent period you could ever imagine. Um, I then went on that day, that afternoon to hemorrhage. I got rushed to hospital. All the while I've got this four-week-old baby. Um, I then had to have major surgery. Then they made multiple mistakes during that surgery and nearly killed me. Then they wouldn't listen to me and they Mm. wouldn't um, go back to investigate. So I was the whole time in hospital thinking, this is like terrifying. And I felt like he was trying to take me with him, which I know that sounds ridiculous, but at the time, it felt like there was this something else going on because yeah. it was just too uncanny for this to be happening. All at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was quite terrifying and um, thankfully, eventually, we we did get a doctor to, to listen and I went back into surgery and they discovered that they had actually perforated my uterus from internally mm-hmm. um, and I was bleeding internally. I was, um, I had toxemia. I was like pre-septic. So another couple of hours um, and it would have been, yeah, really bad. So that was that little experience. Then I went on to, because I was left so long and because of all the damage, I ended Mm -hmm. up actually having to have a colostomy for, um, I think it ended up being about four and a half months. So yeah, it's uh, not the most pleasant thing for a young person. a young woman to endure. It was, well, for any person to endure. But at that time, it's funny because people always say, oh my gosh, you know, how did you cope with that? Mm. And I think that because what I was going through was so heavy, it's almost like it didn't matter to me, which sounds so ridiculous because it was, it was a terrible um, thing to go through. And it was a lot to learn. You actually have to be educated how to care for yourself Mm. and, um, because, I mean, without being gruesome, it's actually the insides of your body are on the outside. Outside of your body, and yeah. it's like, yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, so I was dealing with that. I was dealing with a new baby and, uh, and also grieving. But I think because of the grief mm. at the time, it just, everything else just didn't even seem to matter. It was like yeah. I had this baby to look after and I had just lost Lonnie. So whatever else was going on was just... It seemed irrelevant. Or not it irrelevant did seem irrelevant. Yeah, time, it really yeah. did. Yeah. It felt to me like, who cares? Yeah. Like that's what I, how I felt. It was yeah. just this strange sort of numbness to it. So yeah. I guess in a way um, that was almost a good thing because if at any other time it would have been far more horrendous to endure, yeah. I think. It would have seemed more difficult just yeah. because of the, almost like a compa- you've got something to compare it to yeah. in a way. Exactly. And so then things become, yeah, I It was also kind of like it was representative of my emotional pain. It was mm. like I felt this feeling of, well, you know, yeah, like at least I'm looking how I'm feeling. Yeah. It just was this very strange, yeah, time and it's just hard to even try to put into words but... 
It was difficult, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just like hearing you talk about it and even just, just even the first moment of getting the news of Lonnie's passing. Firstly, I've, I've never been in a situation like that where someone so close to me has, you know, been in that situation. So I, I don't even know how I would feel if I was in that position. But then on top of that, also being a new mum and then having your own health issues going on at the time... And then, you know, you talked there about grief and loss. And I think this is something that we all, we obviously all experience it in life. And particularly when it's someone who's really close to you, yeah. it can be really difficult to navigate those feelings. And, you know, this is why sharing stories like this is so powerful because even though we might not be th going through exactly the same situation, everyone can relate to yeah. going through grief and loss. And, and we don't often hear those stories told, right? Yeah. And so, you know, even people who struggle with mental health issues, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, again, these stories aren't necessarily ones that we hear openly or spoken about openly. So I guess I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, being so close to death yourself, how did that change your perspective of life? Yeah, it changed it in an instant, to be honest. Mm. I had been feeling in the hours leading up to the surgery and then waking up and knowing something was radically wrong, mm. uh, I had just been wishful to get to that theatre and be knocked out. I was just like, I, I don't want to be conscious. I don't want to be here. I don't want to feel or think or have to be part of this. It mm. was just like I just really had been feeling not necessarily suicidal thoughts, because I had a baby and that was what saved me from everything else. Um, but I definitely felt completely hopeless and I was in such a pit of grief. It felt completely insurmountable, like you just couldn't even um, picture a, any life mm. moving past that point. So very, very quickly when you are faced with your own uh, mortality, it's like um, it's a big wake-up call. And yeah. my biggest fear at that moment when I woke up and I knew something was wrong and it was and time was marching on and I was getting sicker and sicker and, and no one was really listening to me, all I just kept thinking was about this baby that was going to be left in this world with nobody. And I just had this desperation um, to survive and to get physically strong and healthy again for her. Mm. And I sort of didn't care about the emotional side of it. I just knew I had to get through this to be there for her. And I really think that being a mother in that situation is absolutely what saved me because the baby was more important than me and it was more important than him. Yeah. And that's kind of mother nature. Yeah. And, and it really felt that way. Whereas prior to being a mum, if someone had have told me that I would have lost Lonnie, I couldn't have imagined bearing it. Like, I just couldn't because he was everything yeah. to me. And at that age, you know, young love's so yeah. overwhelming and you really do think it it's everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's amazing how motherhood just changes everything. It's that maternal instinct. It it's really like, is. It's that survival instinct and, like, like you said, it's, it's not about... You, it's you're not about no, you anymore. It's it about wasn't. your child. Yeah. yeah, and that did really come quite naturally. And and I do know that that doesn't always happen for everyone. And I am very mindful of that. Like pe people who have different experiences with motherhood. But for me, thankfully, particularly at that time, I was very lucky that yeah, that really was. Um, I had that 
overwhelming love and protection for that child and that's all I really could think of in that moment was to get through it, to be able to be there for her. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And, and I think also you're there going through the grief as well. Did you have any moments that you could take the time to process that? Because because it was all happening at the same time, mm. I imagine that, I mean, I can't even imagine how you, do, do you compartmentalise how you feel about Lonnie and then how you feel as a mum and what you've got to do there and then you've got your health issues as well. Do you kind of separate it I out like I that? I think I did. Uh, to be honest, I don't even know, but I think I did compartmentalise mm. <laughs> different issues. It was like, okay, I'll put that away because I have to deal with this right now. Yeah. And I kind of just went through the motions. I, I really just felt quite robotic at the time. It was like I would get up, I would do the bottles, I would, you know, bath the baby, I would feed her. And I was just, the whole time I was in this strange sort of days of just, um, I was very monotone. I do remember feeling not a lot of spikes of happiness or I, I just got through the days and yeah. really got through the minutes. Um, it was kind of like that in the beginning. Yeah. And then as Mia grew and, you know, those milestones were hit and I was getting further away from the incident, it did become easier and I did start to get glimmers of hope and happiness. And my main motivation for writing my story was really that. It was that when you are in the pits of grief you really can't imagine even a second of happiness again. Yeah. It feels like nothing will ever be the same again. And in some ways, nothing will ever be the same, but it will be different and it can be really happy and yeah. it can be amazing. And that's sort of why I really wanted to share my story because when I was in it, I didn't know anybody. And because there was no social media back then, yeah. so there was no way of connecting or... And I just remember thinking, I just need someone that... I can relate to, someone that's had a similar experience to say, mm. oh, no, it does get better. You will be able to find your way out and, you know, just to give me that bit of hope. So Yeah. I mean, it would have felt so lonely. Like you said, you know, we have social media now mm -hmm. and you, and we are able to connect with a lot of people around the world. But, yeah, back in those days there, wa there wasn't that. No, and so, there was nothing. And even talk about any of these things publicly would not have, that's not the norm. That was not the norm. Not at all. You know, no. so... Not yeah. at all. I mean, I think it's amazing that you're able to share your story because it, you know, such also vulnerable times that you're going through health challenges and and obviously losing Lonnie as well. And in terms of your health challenges at the time, like uh, I feel that going through that even physically that that has an effect on you, your body, obviously, mm -hmm. but also emotionally and mentally. And you know, it takes time to recalibrate and and understand who you are as a person after you've gone through all of that, yeah, you know. And so it, it's so incredible to hear how you've been able to manage all of those things at the same time mm -hmm. and, and get through all of these things. Now, as you sort of move through your life and, you know, I feel like that, that was quite a tumultuous and very traumatic part of your life, but then obviously as you moved into your relationship with Brendan and, you know, for those listening who are on the podcast who don't know who Brendan is, because we do have a lot of international listeners as well, mm -hmm. Fev is an Australian rules footy player and uh, obviously has had a very public life in the media yep. um, by default, really, because of his footy career. You know, I'm yeah, interested to... <laughs> <laughs> He's the media now. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, when you initially entered into this world and when Brendan's career really started to blow up. What was the most challenging thing for you in terms of being in the public eye? 
So I, I think probably the judgment mm. that I received, uh, it was as though if you were with a footballer, you were automatically categorised as one type of person. Yeah. And I really struggled with that and I felt like there was never going to be a chance for me to have my own identity or do anything, you know, for myself on my own. It was always brought back to your husband and mm. it was, oh, that's just because she's married to Fev and... So it was a, that was probably the hardest was I think the judgment and not having a voice because, again, when we first started seeing each other, there was no social media. Yeah. So you were really at the mercy of the mainstream media and um, they really can paint the picture however they like mm. and there was no redress, there was no um, addressing anything um, that was said about you. So that was probably the most frustrating thing and I think probably being just so naive. Like I just trusted people. If they said, oh, we want to talk to you about your photography, I was like, oh, great. So I would think, yay, they want to talk to me. Mm. And then I would turn up to the interview and it would just be all questions about my personal life and and then it would appear as though I'd agreed to do these interviews about my personal life and, you know, then I was called a fame whore and I was just an attention seeker mm. and I'm like, no, I was just trying to promote my business. But, yeah. yeah, I think that was definitely the most frustrating part of it but it took me a long time but I did get to a point where I just would navigate things differently yeah. um, and be able to handle things differently and, and get pre-approvals and what have you. So... Yeah, that was probably the hardest part. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've had a lot of people on the podcast who have been in the media spotlight and have had negative experiences with the mainstream media and, you know, being in the public space and mm-hmm. and certainly the same, you know, in terms of how they're being portrayed and, and represented. And in the book you do mention, you know, this is obviously after a lot of your life had played out in the media that you got to a point where you kind of stopped caring about what people thought, you know, mm-hmm. and but... How did you get to that point? Because even now, I mean, we have social media and you have your book as well, which which allows you to control the narrative to yes. some degree and, and yeah. portray yourself in the way that you would like to be represented and your story would like to be, you know, presented to the world. But even through that, I feel like with social media, we still there's still judgment, there's still comments, there's still things like that that go on. And so how have you gotten to that point where you can sort of feel like, I don't really care that much about what other people think. I think knowing that fortunately I have a lot more support than I do uh, trolling and I feel really grateful to all the beautiful people that do send me messages of support and um, I've built a really amazing community around my business and I and it's a, it's a female community and they're all very supportive, genuinely love the brand and... I think that's just given me confidence beyond anything I've ever felt. And Mm. I think that kind of success, like professional success and being able to realise that dream, it's just given me a confidence and a motivation and and a trust, I guess, to be able to keep striving. Because I think when I was younger, I probably felt frightened to put my hand up and say, I want to do something or go after a dream or, or, and, and verbalise that because I felt the fear of judgement, fear of failure probably, fear mm. of, you know, people thinking I was silly or not worthy of that. And I think maturity, you know, getting older, um, 
And again, as I said, I've been really lucky that since I sort of have come out and had more of a voice, and it really started back when I did Dancing with the Stars, I just received so many beautiful messages of support that it just, it changed my whole perspective. And you could still have, you know, certain people in the media that will try to write something in a negative way. But I think the public also are much more aware now of just how manipulative certain Yes. Articles can be. And mm. so people aren't as quick just to take it um, as the verbatim. And I mean, the thing is true, the people that do and the people that want to get on hate, you know, I, I mean, if you're that sort of person, would, would I want to take advice off this person? Would I value their opinion if they're spewing hate about someone they don't even know? Probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that all of that combined has just made me realise that you've just got to chase your dreams and... You're going to have your tribe, you know, there's your your people are out there and they will like what you do and there's those that don't and that's totally fine. Yeah. I think that that place of acceptance is a really nice place to be just because it's, it's you know, if you do allow the judgment and what other people think and all those kinds of things take hold of you, like you said, you, you it almost it stops you from doing it's the things stifling. that you, you know, yeah. what you want to do and, and to be able to set that aside and go for your dreams. And, and also, you know, you talked about they're just sort of, at the beginning being perceived as just, you know, just Fev's wife, but you have you have your own, you know, identity and and, a- yep. and your voice and be able to do the things that you want to do outside of your marriage to Brendan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, I think it's funny because when you're only known because of your partner, it's like that, that narrative never changes. Yeah. No matter how much you do and no matter what you're doing in your life, it's all, always only because of your partner. So you never kind of have that professional credibility of just being a businesswoman and it's like, oh, but she wouldn't be where she is if she didn't have... And in many ways it's true. Like I I know and I'm very aware that I'm so lucky to have been given PR here and there that I wouldn't have got if it wasn't for Brennan. But at the same time, you know, I've been like in my business now 11 and a half years. I have worked my butt off to Mm. be where I am today and... And it certainly hasn't come easy. Um, so, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. It, mm. It's definitely um, frustrating in some ways, but on the other hand, you know, it really does have its perks. So, yeah, you know, you can't complain. Take I guess. the good with the bad. Exactly, I guess, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like almost even more so. You, I, I'm just, I'm just uh, imagining if, if I were in your position, that it almost would be more difficult because you have, you already have a perceived idea of who you yeah. are and what people expect of you that you now have to actually Prove change yourself. that perception yeah. of what people think because you are married to a footballer, you know. Yeah, you definitely have to prove yourself. I felt like in the beginning people didn't take me seriously yeah. in business. Um, but now I feel like, again, you know, I've been doing this a long time now and I feel like I've, you know, I've earned that credibility. And, and the business itself, it's, you know, it's built upon its reputation, its credibility, the products um, speak for themselves. So Mm. I feel really proud that I've been able to, you know, build this independent um, business, not on the back of Brendan, yeah. Being a footballer's wife. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk a little bit about Brendan because I feel like there was a, there was another part. So as we move through, you know, with Brendan, there's obviously a lot of things that happen and, and play out mm-hmm. in the media as well that, mm-hmm. that um, you know, went on in your marriage. And, you know, some of those things that you talked about 
I've heard you say were things that you feared and the thought of the thing is actually worse than the thing itself mm-hmm. when, you, when you actually go through it. Knowing and understanding your journey and where you are now and coming out the other side of it, when you reflect back to that time when you were actually going through it all, what was that like for you? Because... Again, I can't imagine, firstly, going through those hard times is one thing. And I feel like women, many women will be able to relate to that uh, experience. But also then it's being played out in a public space as yeah. well. So th- that in addition to just what's going on in your life, that's that's difficult enough to navigate through. But then on top of that, you've got a million other voices talking about what's going on etc etc so can you talk me through your process of what that was like for you at the time but also just working through those emotions on your own you know I think um infidelity is something that a lot of people fear I think it's something you know where humans are um often geared to be jealous and You know, when we're young particularly, I feel that's um, something we all go through in different various relationships in our life. And um, it was a fear and it was an exacerbated fear because of my situation. He was uh, in the public eye. He was, you know, playing AFL football at the time and he would have a lot of female attention. So I think when I was faced with... um, the reality that it actually had happened, it was almost like I was freed from that now. Mm. Like I was sort of fearing it and worrying about it and it was, you know, consuming me at times. But then once it actually happened, I was like, well, it's done now. You know, you've ruined it. So it was kind of freeing in a way. Yeah. And I think um, it actually made me so strong. Like. I just became completely fearless and I, I didn't care. So that kind of um, freedom, it was actually in a way a favour to me because I think, you know, when you're young and, and you are dealing with that, you're dealing with all the extra attention and, you know, people constantly would be trying to contact him and um, we would go out, you know, girls just at the time they were quite, like, ferocious. They just Mm. didn't care if I was there. There was no respecting boundaries. It was not like that. It was was a different world back then, particularly in the AFL world. Um, So once it happened, um, yeah, I guess I felt in a way just freed from it and and it just released me from that terrible fear and and I realised, you know, it's happened and Mm. we went through a period of separation and then we reconciled and then we sort of separated again. And it definitely fractured us in a way that, you know, you can never, um, it's never like it never happened. But it also, I think, once we actually separated and we we divorced, which we did in, I think it was 2014, um, that was actually what made me be able to actually shed all of that completely. Mm. And because people often will ask me, how did you, how did you stay with him? How could you be with him after that? And I said, well, I didn't. I actually left him. I was completely over it. I was free of that relationship. He was independent of me. We were living completely separate lives. Um, obviously still in touch all the time because we had children. But, 
you know, we really did fully separate. And that was, I think, the only reason we have been able to be together again today because we both healed, grew, you know, became our own people and were able to come back together as two new whole people. And Mm. that, I think, is why uh, we were able to to get over it. Yeah. I mean, I love that you had the space to almost like create new versions of yourself. Yeah, definitely. You know? and, and yeah, like you said, shed that and heal from it, do your own work on your own and, yes. and figure out who you are as a person without each other. Totally. To then be able to come back together as true whole people and, and essentially start a new relationship, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard for people to understand, but I'm like, it, it really was... Um, it was, it was how we were able to be happy again. I think if I'd stayed with him and tried to work through it and counselling, it just, the resentment was there, the anger, the all of it. And I just, I don't think I would have ever got rid of it. So I needed to, yeah, follow through, leave, yeah. get over it and, you know, live my life, be my on my own terms and be my own person. And same for him. Like he had mm. been very dependent on me. So I think it was a really good thing for him as well to be able to go and live his own life. And yeah, we sort of gained a new respect for each other and um, it was a whole new relationship. Yeah. yeah. Which is so incredible to hear. And I feel like, again, I don't feel like there's that many, I don't think I've ever heard any kind of journey as quite the same as what you've gone through. You it's know? unique. <laughs> it's very unique. And even just with the relationship, you know, and, and I feel that it's, it's, it's so great that you've been able to do that in because even like you said there, there was judgment on you even staying with him originally, you know. And yeah, definitely ha- from everyone. That. Yeah, I would have felt, I did feel at the time when I, even though we sort of separated initially, but then when we got back together, yes. yeah, I felt very judged. Yeah, yeah, that was really hard, and I felt ashamed almost. Um, well, not even almost. I felt ashamed. Mm. So, yeah, that was a really yucky period of my life. Um, yeah. And, you know, I just had a baby at the time. So it was another very stressful and traumatic time um, to have just had a baby. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was a, it wasn't a nice time in my life. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. So you ne- it sounded like you needed that time for yourself to heal and, and, yeah, and do all those so. things for yourself to process everything. I mean, yeah. Do you. Can you tell me about maybe the moment or series of moments where you felt like you crossed over in a way to being at peace with what had happened? Because, you know, to come to a place like you are now and for you and Brendan to have such a great relationship and, you know, there's a... I imagine there's a moment where you kind of make peace with things yeah. within yourself and it, and it doesn't... I'm sure it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. So... Do you remember the series of moments leading up to that moment where you realised, I think I'm okay with this now? I think what helped me was gaining my independence. So mm-hmm. starting my business, um, this would have been, so this was many years later because I had, had Lulu by this stage, my third daughter, and she was two years old when I started Runway Room. That was the real turning point for me, having my own um, purpose, my own passion, my own income, my own, I mean, I'd had my own business prior to meeting Brendan, but really throwing myself into this, which had always been my dream to, to start this business, it just gave me a whole new um, sense of myself. Mm. And I think Dancing with the Stars 
was the start of it. It yeah. was just me being seen for my own person and and then straight on the back of that, I opened Runway Room and I think that independence uh, is what gave me the confidence and happiness and all of that in, within myself to be like, yeah, I I don't need to be going through this anymore and I and I sort of, yeah, I just threw myself into my work and um, it was during that period of when my business was growing and even though they were only small steps of success at the time, everything just gave me a sense of validation and I just... I don't know, it just made me feel good about myself and suddenly I didn't feel vulnerable or a victim or like I just didn't feel, I felt like, you know, I knew that it wasn't about me, it was about him and I, it was just confidence. I think it was confidence within myself is why I was able to make peace with it and then that separation yes. was critical. Yeah. As I said, if that didn't happen, I don't think I would have ever been able to um, gain a new respect for him. But it was the distance that we had between each other. And then when we did start to spend time together again, we were like two different people. people yeah, yeah. And I I, mean, I like what you said there about kind of finding your own purpose and, and putting your passion into the business essentially. And, and I guess just having that space to yourself yeah. to really just to be you. Yep without Brendan and, and really allow that confidence to come through your actions, I suppose, you know, take yeah, that totally. action. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I think independence for women particularly is really important. Mm. To have your own independence in a relationship, it definitely gives you, um, I feel, more security within yourself. But when you're totally dependent on someone else or you're relying on somebody else for your happiness, mm that's when it can be dangerous, I think. Yeah. Did you feel scared at the time to take that step? Because there's probably a lot of women who are listening perhaps that are in a relationship that do feel somewhat dependent on their partner and feel scared to, they may be thinking, they may be thinking okay, yeah, I do want to be independent, but I'm so scared that I've never done that before. How, yeah. do I, how would I ever do that? You know? Yeah, it's hard because it's not for everyone and mm. it is um, a huge risk, like starting a business or whatever it may be, I would, my advice would probably be to start small with lower risks. So maybe start doing something you love if you've got a passion or a hobby or you go and get a job with someone else doing something that you really feel passionate about. It's just having that purpose. It doesn't have to be your own business. It's just having a purpose and something of your own that you get rewarded from, like you get, um, you know, you, you get a sense of achievement mm. that that's, I think what's really important, and it could even just be something like art or, you know, you painting, writing, it could be anything. But I think having your own purpose and passion is really important. Really important, yeah. And I mean, I feel like too, you know, with your book, Silver Linings, it, it pretty much sums up your outlook on life, I feel, and, and the lens through which you choose to see your life and your experience of life. And it is a choice. You yeah. really, it's really um, clever wording because I so feel like you can choose to look at all the negative and you can choose to be overwhelmed by that and focus on that. And it's so, I so believe in the law of attraction that when you're focusing on negative, more negative comes. Um, and you're right, I really did choose to look at the positives in all the situations in my life. And, you know, as they say, it's like, what's the saying? Everything's a lesson. Mm. Um, you know, even the, the bad things that happen to us 
you know, we can learn from them and it can make you stronger in some ways. And not always. I know that there's always exceptions on that. But um, if you can find a positive in it, it's definitely a better way of looking at it than trying to, you know, than sort of being stuck in dwelling on all the bad things that are yeah. happening. Yeah, and I, and I think, I mean, I do think that a lot of people struggle with that sort of when bad things happen, quote-unquote, and especially with things that are out of our control. And so how did you learn to view life this way? Because I don't think everybody does, you know. No, and yeah, you, you're right. It's, I mean, it, it's hard and I think for people that are going through hard times right now and they feel like they're just being piled on and it's one thing after the other, it can be really hard to try to look for a positive. But I think for me... It is something that's just come naturally. I've always been a more optimistic person and I don't know, I just, yeah, I think it does come naturally but I also think sometimes we can teach ourselves to be more positive and focus more on that. So if you're in a situation, everything's feeling awful, try to find one thing that you can do. So one little step to try to make that situation better or try to make yourself feel better, whatever that may be. I think... Mm. Sometimes we look big picture too much yeah. and I think sometimes they're just tiny little steps that can make a big difference and when you can tick that off, it's a feeling of things are going better. Mm. Okay, I'm making progress. And I think progress is probably key. Yeah. Little steps at a time and eventually you'll get on a path of positivity. I'm also a believer in sometimes the universe will direct you in a way and if things are going bad, maybe you're on the wrong trajectory. Yes. Sometimes it's about changing the path you're on and trying to find what's right for you. Yeah, so it's doing the little things and then it's building that momentum and it will guide you down that path. But like you said, when things aren't quite going right, maybe it's a, a, a sign to have a look at what's going on and yeah. and redirect almost in a way, reassess what's going yeah, on absolutely. in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, one of the things that I found interesting going through your story is that in some of those moments, in some of those challenging times with Bonnie and both Brendan, that you mentioned that you had this sense or this feeling, almost like a premonition or an intuition. And I think as women, I feel like it's a bit of a superpower that we have, right? This women's intuition, you could call it gut feeling, Mm -hmm. but it's a sense, and it's often not logical, Mm -hmm. that something's just not right. You can't explain why it's not logical. Mm -hmm. But can you explain what that feeling feels like for you when, when it has come up for you? And have there been times in your life where you haven't listened to it? So... Trying to put into words what it feels like is difficult, but it's a knowing, I guess, yeah. like a sixth sense. Sounds all witchy poo and weird, but <laughs> and I'm really not like that. But I do really definitely trust my intuition and it's a real thing and there's no doubt in my mind. I've had some experiences in my life that have been, um, yeah, like, frightening actually how accurate my intuition's been. Mm. And there was times I didn't listen and Lonnie was probably one of those times. Mm. I knew things were not good. I did have a feeling of fear, particularly after his car accident. And I felt uh, a sense of dread. And it actually led into, uh, in my pregnancy, just before, I think it was around sort of Christmas and New Year's, I felt I knew something horrendous was coming. Mm. And I couldn't really work out exactly what it was, but it was like this black cloud, just a feeling of dread, a feeling of fear, so deep within, and I couldn't pinpoint why I was feeling like that. And I kind of thought maybe it was hormones. And, you know, that's what a lot of people were telling me, oh, it's your hormones because you're pregnant. Um, But no, it definitely was what was about to happen. And it was 
yeah, something I knew that was coming. So I guess at that point um, I was already on that path, well and truly on that path. There was kind of no changing direction yeah. at that stage. But, yeah, it was something I, earlier on when, you know, before I'd felt fallen pregnant, there probably was that opportunity to have left mm. um, and I didn't. Yeah. So, and, you know, again, I, I think there's two ways of looking at that. Yes, I could have saved myself a lot of, you know, terrible trauma, but I wouldn't have my daughter and, mm. you know, the experiences I've had have got me to where I am today and I'm very grateful for where I am. So, yeah, you know, it's always how you look at it, right? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And so I, I think there's a reason I didn't listen and I, it was all meant to happen and as awful as it was, and obviously if I could change, you know, having Lonnie here, I would, but that was a decision that was out of my hands and mm-hmm. um, I can only look at it from my perspective and think, well, you know, where I am today, um, I am grateful for, so I can't deny that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like... Those times even when you don't listen, though, are such important lessons. I've definitely yeah. had that in my life where I know you, it's almost like you know at the time that you're not listening to it. Yes. And it's only in hindsight you go, oh, I, should, I probably should have listened to it. But then you remember that. You remember that experience. Yeah. So the next time that comes up, you're not, you, you won't not listen to it again. You exactly. Know, in a way. And yeah. you do. You become wiser and... Mm. Yes, you learn from your mistakes. You try to anyway. <laughs> yeah, you try to. Now, Runway Room is your amazing makeup and cosmetics brand. Yep. And I love the values of the brand, which are authenticity, growth, loyalty, empowerment, and innovation. And it seems like these are really an extension of who you are as a person too. So tell me about the evolution of Runway Room because you decided to create this brand 2012. It's been 11 yep. and a half years. And, you know, it, it's it's been such a journey for you. And And like you say, it's where your passion has gone into it's mm-hmm. it's helped you establish your own person in a way. Yep. So tell me about how this has come to be to where it is now. So I started in 2012 as a service-based business. So we were mainly all about service and it was quite a disruptive business at the time. No one was doing what we were doing. We were the first in Australia to offer hair, makeup and beauty services all under the one roof. And you know, six days a week, um, sometimes seven by appointment. So it was that consistency. There was a lot of hairdressing salons that would have a makeup artist that they'd call in, like freelancers, but, you know, it was inconsistent. Mm. And then, of course, there was the makeup bars in department stores and concept stores like Napoleon Purtis and Mac that offered makeovers. But, again, it was uh, inconsistent services in you didn't know who you were going to get and they didn't do hair. So you had to try and align the appointment with your hair. So if you're going out to an event, um, usually women would choose one or the other and at that point in time they would choose hair. Mm. Makeup wasn't really something people were getting done for events back then. It was really only for your wedding or something very, very, very special. And I'm talking about the the sort of everyday average woman out there. Um, and I really wanted to create a space where the everyday woman could have access to that glam squad that celebrities and, and you know, the elite people of society were, were having and I thought, well, you know, I'm sure if people had the opportunity to come here and it was affordable and it was accessible and consistent service, they would. Mm. And I had a lot of people say to me at the time, like, well, if it's such a great idea, how come no one's doing it? And why hasn't it been done before? And I'm like, because no one's done it properly. Like no one's really dedicated. And, and there was a long time in the beginning I had to push through 
a period of people getting their heads around, oh, makeup just for, you know, just for yeah. luncheon or just for a night out or, and slowly but surely, um, we grew and we grew very organically, really by word of mouth, by women um, telling their friends, you know, sharing their experiences. And within a couple of years, I had decided to just start developing my own products because um, we were selling a lot of makeup through service and we were doing education and workshops and teaching people how to do their makeup. And I really just saw a hole in the market for an Australian made um, cosmetic line. There was nothing at the time. Mm. Um, Napoleon was Australian, but they were made overseas. So, um, so yeah, I started developing the products and that really became my passion. So mm. I'd, I'd grown the business to have five stores and we were doing really well, but the products was really where I saw my future and I just loved being able to create my own makeup products. It was just an absolute dream come true. Um, but I made a few mistakes. You know, I, I didn't get my branding right. I um, probably developed too many products too quickly before really establishing um, my customer base. So for the first few years, really, it was like a trial period. We only sold within our own stores to our own customers. Um, but that really enabled me to get direct feedback and like, you know, unofficial market research myself because I was still working in store all the time doing makeup. Yeah. And so I really credit that period um, as the why we have the range we have today, which is a very wearable um carefully curated range. So we're not hugely extensive. We don't have, you know, five different shades of green eyeshadow or, you know, we, we've kept it tight and we've kept it really wearable. So everything in our in our range moves. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I, I think that's really down to that period of really working out what works and what doesn't. So officially launched the product line in 2019 after those years of finding my feet. And, um, you know, happy to say we're doing really well today. It's really taken off and next year is going to be a huge year for us as far as we've got some really exciting launches happening, um, a couple that we've announced already and a couple that we haven't. Um, but, yeah, just really grateful for, um, for where we are today. We're, we're still a small business, you know, in comparison, particularly in our space like cosmetics. Mm. It's a you know, industry full of giants, um, yes. but really fortunate to have built this incredible community of Australian women and some overseas um, that have supported us and absolutely love our products. We've got really loyal customers and so I feel very, very lucky and um, the next couple of years our focus is just about growing that and, um, yeah, reaching more people and becoming you know, having a bigger national presence. So, yeah. no, yeah. I really, I really love the hearing the journey, and I, I love how at the beginning, you know, you're you're in salon speaking with your customers, and I feel like that's the best feedback that you can get. Oh, actual absolutely. people that are using the product and what you like about it, what you don't like yep. about it, what you know, and and being able to tailor your product line to your customers, to the customer. yeah, yeah, and really, and really kind of generate, I guess, cultivating that community. Yes. Yep. Room. Yeah. So I think as women, you know, we use makeup and cosmetics as a way to express ourselves outwardly. Yep. So I'm interested to know what does beauty mean to you? What does it mean to be beautiful? I really think beauty and being attractive is feeling good in your own skin. Mm. So whether that means wearing makeup or not, I think if you are confident in yourself, 
you're happy in your own skin, I think that's what's attractive. And so for me, that part of that feeling does come from wearing makeup. I love makeup. I've always loved makeup. Um, I don't feel myself without makeup. And, you know, there's, there's an argument out there of, oh, but, you know, you should be just happy, natural the way you are. Of course. Mm. But if you love makeup and you love applying, like I actually love the art of applying it as well. I love the transformation from for myself, but I also love it for my clients because I see not only the transformation, obviously, on the outside, but how they feel when they leave, when they they are feeling good. Mm. And so um, I see it as an extension of who we already are. It's only enhancing what's already there. And so I, yeah, I'm a big advocate for makeup, obviously, in my industry. I love it. I think it makes us feel good and um, and our products are good for your skin. So, mm. yeah, it's, um, I think beauty is basically feeling good in your own skin and being happy with who you are. You can create whatever look you like. And Absolutely. it depends on how you're feeling and that's going to be an outward expression of, of how you feel about yourself, I suppose. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's no different. I think makeup for women is, or for anyone really who likes to wear makeup, it's the same as having a haircut, um, having a shave, putting a suit on, you know, polishing your shoes, whatever it is, it's part of grooming. So if you feel more put together with a, a, a beautiful understated face of makeup on and that's part of your armour for the day, you know, it's it's a positive thing. It mm. makes you feel good. It makes you look good. And I know myself, um, if I go out without makeup on, which is rare, <laughs> but if I do, I, I just don't feel myself and I almost feel like I'm like, you know, yeah, not wanting to run into people, that's for sure. So yeah. for me, I think that's just me and that's who I am and that's the way I am. Um, and it's, you know, amazing for people that don't feel that way. And I think certainly not pushing makeup on everyone, but I think if you're someone that does um, feel better in, about yourself when you've done your makeup, then yeah. Yes. Yes, all more power to you. All power to you. So what's your favourite look to create? Um, I think skin that glows and eyes that pop is is my, it's kind of, kind of what we're known for and that's just really weightless, glowy formulas on the skin, um, light and bright and peachy and fresh. So mm. really trying to emulate um, youthful, glowy skin sort of after exercising, something yeah. like that. Um, so very light. I'm certainly not... Um, into heavy, um, you know, thick, matte, overdone makeup. I'm very much, um, you know, my taste is, is definitely more effortless looking makeup. So really a, a natural version of yourself, just a little bit more polished. That's yeah. kind of how I'd like to explain it. Almost like that, the makeup, no makeup look. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. Yeah, which I love. And, that, and the whole idea of ageless beauty as well is something that Runway Room really highlights because me obviously works with you too. Yes. So that's just a really nice way to show that, the range crosses all age groups. Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the the fact that we both wear exactly the same products every day and we both use exactly the same products on our clients and Mia does a broad age range of clients as well and she'll use on her 18-year-old school formal girls the same products that she uses on Mother of the Bride. So, um, yeah, we really are ageless and I think the messaging behind the ageless part is obviously about the products, but it's also about you can feel good at any age and you can be beautiful and feel beautiful at any age. It's not, you know, there's so much emphasis on youth being mm. beauty. Um, but I think that the narrative's definitely turning and I think a lot of um, 
brands are now focusing on women of all ages because it has been a focus that, um, you know, for years and years and years, beauty was sold with young, beautiful faces. Yeah. So now they are definitely um, producing campaigns that are a lot more relatable for all age groups and all people and, um, yeah, I think it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like we're seeing that more in the space and so it's, it's really great to see Runway Room you know, sort of headlining that as well. So I've got the final three questions for yep. you, Alex. What drives you? Passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, passion most definitely. Um, that's probably my main driver. I absolutely love what I do. So from a business perspective, um, having a true passion for what I do is, is yeah, my why mm-hmm. I do what I do. Yeah, amazing. Love that. If you had to redo or relive something in your life and do it differently, what would it be and why? Oh, wow. Um, probably my younger years, uh, probably be less worried about what people think. Mm. You know, enjoy the moment you're in and and know your value. I think it took me a long time to learn to know and understand my values. So probably going back to being a younger woman, teenage teenager and young adult and just having more more confidence and, and self-love, I guess, and not yeah. feeling so um, intimidated and and um, and judged. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I really like that. And I feel like even as you move through life, the self-love piece is just so huge and I feel like we're always trying to cultivate more of that within yeah. ourselves, which is, that's so nice. And the final question I have for you is, what is the biggest lesson you have learned in your life so far? To stay positive. I mm. think regardless of what you're going through, you have to believe that it will get better. So I think that that's my number one is, yeah, definitely to really believe there's got, there's a way out, it's going to get better and probably trust your intuition. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably another one. No, I like that one. That one's really, and I feel like that's a lesson that we, I feel like we continually learn it, right? Yeah. And we, we're always given opportunities in life to, to learn that lesson. So amazing. I really, really love that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank it's you for having me. In such an a, amazing to hear your journey and to hear your perspective on life and all the amazing things that you're doing with Runway Room as well. So where can people go to find Runway Room and all your amazing work? So you can go to runwayroom.com um, and view the full range. Um, but we are actually launching into Direct Chemist Outlets, our diffusion line, um, in November. So just Amazing. a couple of weeks away. So um, they're, nas- they're a national store. So you should be able to find a Direct Chemist Outlet near you and try any of our, well, not any of our products, some of our careful selection of our products that we've chosen um, for the diffusion line. And uh yeah, you can follow us on Instagram as well. We have a lot of education online. So um, lots of tutorials for all different age groups and uh, you can see the products in action. Amazing. Also, we'll pop up in the, we'll pop all those links up in the show notes and also your Instagram and, and TikTok yep. and things because Alex has been reading passages from her book. Yes. And also does makeup tutorials and all those kinds of things. So there's plenty of things on there to check out. So we'll pop them up for you guys to check out. Tell us what you loved and learnt from this episode by leaving a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts screenshot this episode, tag us and share it to your socials. Thank you again, Alex, for joining me on the show. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rachel J Podcast. Hold up. 